0: Well, we are picking up where we left off last week in uh, Exodus. Let's go to chapter 2 and go to uh, verse 11. And uh, we're given kind of a uh, brief biography, but I'm going to take it as a little bit more of a character sketch and evaluation of Moses. What is it that we see and hear about this man? Moses is, uh, if you haven't noticed, fairly important in the Bible... Uh, He's the third most mentioned name in the Bible. Jesus Christ is by far the first one. David, the king, is number two. And right behind him is Moses. You find him mentioned in the Old and the New Testament. The law of Moses. The teachings of Moses. um, All of those kind of things are in there. Um, And so we need to uh, know a little bit about him. Very, very important. Now we saw that uh, when he was born, he was born as a slave, born as a piece of property, and he was born under a uh, death edict, throw all the Hebrew baby boys into the Nile River, and uh, Moses' mother made the little waterproof boat, put him in the bulrushes, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, finds him and then adopts him as her own, and uh, we really don't know, very much about him in those days. But we do know that he lived with his natural mother while he was being nursed. And then uh, Pharaoh's daughter took him as her own and he was raised in a palace. You know, uh, you think about that turn of events, how weird it is that he goes from a place of death, the river to being rescued and then being placed in a palace. I suppose you could draw a couple of analogies about uh, our own spiritual life, how we were dead in trespasses and sins, and uh, there was no hope for us, and we were in the place of death, but God rescued us because he's rich in mercy, and now we are part of the family of God, and we've gone from an orphanage, I guess you would say, to a palace, and uh, our children of the king. There are things you see in there. It's interesting how... Those lives in the Bible kind of give us glimpses and pictures of things like that. But we pick up now after Moses is a grown man. Uh, By this point, he is somewhere around the age of 40 years old. And uh, for those of you who are younger than 40, you go, wow, boy, he's an old man. For some of us, we go, no, he's just in his prime. 40 is a pretty good time, isn't it? And he's uh, not a kid. He's respected. He's got some maturity. He's got wisdom. We read in the New Testament, when you read in Acts chapter uh, 7, when uh, the deacon Stephen gives the recount of Israel's history and puts Jesus in it. Uh, He talks about how Moses was uh, educated and skilled in all the ways of the the Egyptians. Now, keep in mind, Egypt was the dominant world empire of that day. And they were the scientific and um, educational, intellectual uh, apex of that culture. If you wanted to learn something, you went to Egypt. If you wanted the best the world had to offer, you went to Egypt. If you wanted the greatest education, you went to Egypt. And that's the way Moses is trained and raised in the palace there. But I don't know uh, how the Lord revealed to him. I don't know how he came to understand that even though he looked like an Egyptian, spoke like an Egyptian, even though he was educated like the Egyptians, in fact, uh, as we read through our passage this morning, he's going to even be identified as an Egyptian, when we get near the end of it, he really wasn't an Egyptian. And it reminds me of how the Bible says we are in the world. I mean, we've been influenced by the world, educated by the world. We dress modestly, of course, but according to the styles of the world and all of those kind of things, and yet we're not of the world. We're, we're different. And that's the way Moses was. Even though he was there in Egypt... He must have known, and somehow God revealed to him, you're not one of them. And so we come to this point to where Moses makes a choice in his life. And the Bible tells us in verse 11, Exodus 2, verse 11, Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to, these two words tell you a lot, his brethren, his brethren. Notice his identification. And he looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way. And when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Let the revolution begin, maybe. Verse 13. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting. And he said to the one who did the wrong, Why are you striking your companion? And then he said, think how chilling this must have been. Because you've kind of been in a situation where you thought you got away with something and then you didn't. Think about what this would be with the implications. Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me? As you killed the Egyptian, just let that sink in. So Moses feared and said, "Surely this thing is known." And when Pharaoh heard of the matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters. And they came and drew water. And they filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds, notice it's plural. Shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to uh, uh, Ruel, their father... He said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zipporah his... Why do I always think of lighters when I read that word? Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son and called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land when I read the story of Moses Moses of course is writing this so he tells us what he wants us to know and of course we understand also according to 2 Timothy 3.16 he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so this is a can't miss thing we know everything about Moses we're supposed to know everything that we need to know and everything that Moses wanted us to know isn't it interesting he doesn't skip the part about killing the Egyptian he uh, needs that Because he is writing this, this is after he has led the slaves out of Egypt, and he wants them to know what happened. How did we get in Egypt? Why were we in slavery? How did we get set free? And he tells pretty much the whole story, even the things that he did that were um, certainly bad. But in this, we also get some things that I think are... Uh, interesting about Moses things that we need to know about him you will identify with Moses a little bit I want you to notice that first of all Moses made a moral choice the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 about verse 26 that Moses made a choice to identify with his brethren Okay, well, I can understand that. We all kind of want to know our our roots, where we came from, where our families migrated from, what the family story was. But it's more than that. Because it says in Hebrews 11 that Moses did this by faith and he chose to identify with his brothers rather than the sinful pleasures of Egypt. I'm paraphrasing. But the book of Hebrews in 11 lines it out very clearly. Moses, to stay as a prince, would have been sin. Moses' destiny was to identify with the Hebrews, the Jews, the Israelis, the descendants of Abraham, his people, and it calls it a sin issue. You see, that was a moral choice that Moses made. Moses had the best of everything. And yet he chose as a moral issue to identify with his people who were the slaves. And that kind of tells us what's happening in the rest of the story here as we read this little brief biographical sketch. Because you see, everybody is confronted with moral choices every day. In fact, I'll say to this, for those of you who are born again, every day... Every moment that you identify with the world instead of with Christ, that's a moral issue. You say, well, I haven't been immoral. I haven't slept with someone I'm not married to. Uh, We don't categorize sin in those ways. Sin is just simply sin. And it cost Jesus his life on the cross. And Jesus bore the wrath of God for our sin in our place. And so any time we fail to identify with him, when we act or we think or we are motivated by the way this world thinks, acts, and is motivated, that is a moral issue. If the people at your job don't know that you're a Christian, that's a moral issue. If the people at your school don't know that you're a Christian, that's a moral issue. Whenever we try to hide out and camouflage, then we are nullifying, really, our purpose for being here on earth. We are ambassadors for Christ. And that's not camouflage. That's not hidden. That's not stealth. That's not in secret. Ambassadors are bold in speaking up for and representing their country. We ought to do the same for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Moses, when confronted with, am I going to be an Egyptian? Or will I identify with my Hebrew? The only moral thing he could do was to identify with the Hebrews. That was, after all, the way God had made him. That was his DNA, and that was his purpose. He had been born a slave, and now he is identifying with the slaves. Secondly, I notice in here that Moses had this strong passion for justice. We've seen it twice in this passage that we read. When Moses is out there looking and observing the Uh, oppression of his brothers and he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew he's got to do something about it now the Bible doesn't tell us how it happened maybe Moses was just going to stop it maybe Moses was just going to pull him off but if the Egyptian is beating the Hebrew it sounds to me like he had some sort of weapon Maybe as he pulled this guy off, maybe the guy turns on Moses and Moses in self defense or whatever uh, ends up killing him. Um, I don't know that you can read this and come to the conclusion that Moses set out to murder him. I don't know. I don't know, but just food for thought. But notice what was motivating Moses to do that. This is wrong, a strong sense of right. And wrong. Well, you would expect that out of a guy that gives us the law of Moses. There's a definite right, there's a definite wrong. You're either right or you're wrong. No in-between. tells us about Moses. But it also tells us that whenever he saw someone that was being oppressed, he wanted to do something about it. Did you notice that he not only did that in Egypt, but after he ran for his life, he's sitting down by the well. And what happened? The shepherds came, and they're harassing those girls. And what does Moses do? He stands up for them. There was something in his nature and character that he identified not only right for wrong, but he said, I am going to do something about it. Now, we can debate whether he did the right thing or not, but let's get to the heart of the matter, his motive. He had a strong passion for justice. Well, that's biblical. He has shown the old man... What is good? And what does the Lord require of thee? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Pretty well sums it up, doesn't it? And Moses had that all in his life. I see something. I can't just turn a blind eye. I've got to get involved in it. I've got to do something. So, there we find him making a moral choice. There we find him passionate for justice. But did you notice what happened the very next day? Man, I hate it when you try to do something good for somebody and they don't appreciate it. Moses became a lightning rod for criticism. You know, uh, when he comes in there and he says, Hey, why are you two brothers doing this? Notice it says he spoke to the one that was wrong. There's that justice, there's that right from wrong, that kind of thing that Moses had. He discerned it, he picked it out. Maybe he observed it, we don't know. But when he spoke to that guy, instead of that man saying, boy, you're right, what are we doing here? I repent. He turns around and said, who made you to be a prince and a judge over us? Now that is a strange statement when you are speaking to Pharaoh's daughter, uh, son, Pharaoh's daughter's son. There we go. Been a long week. Of course he kind of had connections, right? That's something that Moses is going to hear for the rest of his life. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? Oh, in Egypt that was so good there, but you've brought us out here. How many times did he hear that? How many times did the people of God get angry with him and all he was doing was what he was supposed to do, leading them from Egypt to the promised land? And yet they constantly turned on him, constantly complained, constantly were angry toward him. People like Moses are lightning rods for criticism. It just comes their way. So when you see somebody like a Moses... And you find them where they're being unjustly criticized. You ought to pray for them. Whether they're in politics. Whether they're in the judicial system. Whether they are a friend or a neighbor or somebody in the family. There are those people who are black and white. They are strong in what they believe. They express it. They want to do something. And you know when it works, we make statues of them. When it works, we make them heroes when it doesn't always work so well we get annoyed at them don't we you ought to pray for them that's the way Moses found himself it's a hard life that Moses had even at the very beginning when he tries to do something right his own people he identified with them but they wouldn't identify with him he is trying to do something to alleviate them And all they do is make his life more difficult. In fact, he has to run for his life now. Which brings me up to another point. Notice here that when Moses says, Gulp, this thing's out, people know. The Bible says, in our text, that when Pharaoh heard about it, he was going to bring capital punishment on Moses. Does that strike you as weird? Moses was kind of a victim of irony here. You see, Moses was born as a dead man, wasn't he? Though all the male Hebrew children, that's what Moses was, throw him into the Nile. This is like same song, second verse. Pharaoh is after Moses, right? What a shocker that is. But I also noticed another irony Pharaoh doesn't mind throwing hundreds even thousands of babies in the Nile. But now he is going to execute justice on Moses? What a hypocrite. I don't find that too far off from where our society is, do you? Agonizing over how we ought to And whether we ought to execute a confessed, convicted murderer. But think nothing of murdering 55 million babies in their mother's wombs. Does something seem backward about that? Executing the innocent and trying to protect the guilty. Something's wrong and ironic about that. Well, that's what Egypt was doing. Pharaoh rises up in all of his righteous indignation. Moses must die. and All of those Hebrews that had been murdered in the Nile. Not a tear shed for them. But we've got to have justice for this Egyptian that was beating a Hebrew that Moses killed. I don't know. I just find all of that ironic. And I find that Moses' life was just kind of a, a life of ironies. You know, he's saved by a princess. He's raised in a palace. Then he becomes a shepherd, and Egyptians hated shepherds. They did not like shepherds at all, and yet here Moses is raised one way, and now he spends his adult life completely different. Boy, he wouldn't have written that kind of a script. That's not the way life would have gone. Have you ever had life turn a different manner than you thought it was going to go? God has his purposes in all of that, but they don't always make sense. And that's why we bow the knee, and that's why we trust the heart of the Father. Spurgeon put it like this, when you can't trace the uh, the hand of God, you can always trust the heart of God. And one of these days, it'll all fit together. But right now, poor Moses, 40 years old, running for his life, heading to Midian, setting by a well... And what do you suppose he's thinking? What have I done? Why do I get involved? Why do I try to help? Why does everything turn sour? What am I going to do now? How am I going to make a living? What's my future hold? All of those kind of things while he's sitting there at the well. That must have been a depressing situation for a prince of of Egypt. That must have been a depressing situation for a guy who may be sitting there by the well saying, Lord, is this how you reward me? I mean, I chose to let go of everything in Egypt to identify with the covenant children of Israel. This is what I get? Lord, I was motivated by justice. You are a God of justice. I tried to set things right. And this is what happens? This is how I get rewarded? I tried to help my people, Lord. I've got it in my heart that my education and my learning and my position might be able to be a help to liberate my brethren. And they turn on me, Lord. And now that murderous Pharaoh is after me as if he's innocent, as if he's done nothing wrong. And I'm the one fleeing from my life? When you don't understand God's purpose or His plan, right? You look at all of that and you say, how does this fit? How does this fit? How is this the work of God? How is this a loving, just, holy, covenant-keeping God? Sitting by a well. And while Moses is sitting by the well... The daughters of the priest of Midian come up. Women in those days took care of the flocks and they watered them. That was considered women's work. And while they're watering, Moses is probably watching them. Maybe it was a strange language. Maybe they were dressed weird for his culture and all of that. Maybe he was thinking he might make a friend. I don't know. But They're watering the flock. He's just passing the time. Not sure where he's going to go. Not sure what he's going to do. Not sure what the future holds. All of a sudden some shepherds come up. Now remember Egyptians were raised not to like shepherds. In fact that was part of the deal when Joseph was in Egypt. Remember in his family Jacob and all of them came. They got the land of Goshen separate from the Egyptians. Because the Egyptians didn't really like shepherds. It worked in their favor at that point. And maybe Moses is sitting there thinking, Oh, shepherds. They stink. They're ugly. Look at them. What despicable people. And then all of his suspicions are confirmed when he starts shoving the girls around. I mean, why should the shepherds draw water when these women already have? Why shouldn't the shepherds' flocks be watered instead of the girls who drew the water? And something boiled up inside of Moses and Moses single handedly takes on don't know how many but it's plural he was outnumbered and he wins and he wins so much so that when the girls get home they're asked how would you get finished so quickly oh this Egyptian the shepherds bothered us and he helped us and they go Why isn't he here? Hospitality was very important to them. You kidding me? Somebody did that for you and he's not here to eat bread? Go get him. And that changes Moses' life. Because out of that he gets a wife and he gets a son. Never really hear much about Gershom. I don't really expect much out of anybody named Gershom. Do you? Mm, Nobody. But uh, it changed Moses' life, didn't it? Because the last thing that I noticed is Moses, when he was younger, must have been quite impressive, powerful, and strong. I mean, after all, there he is when someone is beating a Hebrew slave and Moses overpowers that guy and that guy ends up losing his life. Moses must have been not this bearded, bent-over, stooped guy that we see sometime. When he was young, he must have been quite impressive and powerful, extremely smart. Then he's over here by the well, maybe even feeling sorry for himself, wondering what's going on, and yet that sense of justice rises up in him, and what does he do? He overpowers shepherds, and then he's still got enough strength and energy that he waters the flock for the girls. He must have been quite a guy. He must have been impressive. He must have been the kind of person that, that, that if you saw him in that context, you might have said, yeah, he'll be, a, he'll be a deliverer. That guy can pull it off. Smart, strong, handsome, powerful, influential, unafraid, with this real heart for what's right and wrong. Yeah, boy, there's the candidate. There's the candidate. You know, there's a song that says, Where others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Talking about David. Remember that? In this case, change it around. Where others see a king, God says, "Mm, No, he's a shepherd. And God demotes Moses from the palace and from Egypt and from even ruling over his own people to a well in Midian in the desert and then the best he can do with his life after that, what are you gonna do with all that education? You went to Harvard, didn't you, Moses? What are you gonna do with that MBA? What are you gonna do with all those things you know? <laughs> watch sheep. Just go watch the sheep. And Moses does that. I think anybody who is godly would be willing to watch sheep for a day, for a week. You know, when uh, we see people that say, well, I just want to serve. I just want to be a servant. You know what we mean by that? For a little while. I'll give you a day, and I'll help the homeless. I'll give you a day, I'll give you 20 minutes, and I'll help pick up chairs around the church. I'll give you a little while, I'll give you a little while, and I'll be a servant. We walk away feeling good about ourselves. Moses doesn't get that option. that's the only employment he can find. So there he is, watching sheep. How long did he watch sheep? We're going to find out for four decades. Whew, that must have been boring. No wonder a burning bush got his attention. Moses was bored out of his skull. You don't just watch sheep. That's interesting. The sand moved, you know. Burning bush is a squirrel, you know. He's ready for it. This is Moses' life. This is Moses' job. Because you see, the thing that we learn in this passage of Scripture is that Moses, in all of his power, being impressive with all of his ability, was absolutely useless for being a deliverer. You know why? Wrong way. God never said, I'm going to deliver my people through assassination, through revolution. Through political upheaval, that wasn't the way God was going to do it, was he? It's the wrong time. Moses said, it's as good a time as any, I'll never be any stronger than I am right now. Let's take it and let's go. God says, No, you got 40 more years, son. 40 more years. You know, sometimes we want to do it now, do it now. Let's get it going. Let's go. And God says, Shh, wait. How many verses in the Bible do you know that say, wait? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. I don't like waiting. Be still and know that I'm going to... I don't like being still. I fidget when I'm sitting still. You know what I'm saying? saying? Wait, I say, upon the Lord, we find in the Psalms. I don't like to wait. Moses probably was not a waiter... He was somebody who wanted to move, wanted to go. Let's get her done. Let's do something. And then what does God do? In God's sovereign plan, the steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And it took Moses to running for his life, sitting by a well, defending women against a shepherd and uh, marrying into a Midianite family and then becoming a career path of a shepherd. No advancement in that, is there? Nothing at all in that. But it wasn't the right time. Moses tried to do things in his time and in his strength and not in God's time or God's strength because he was using the wrong power, using the power of his physical strength, using the power of his intellect, using the power of reasoning, using the power of justice and all of that. And it's as if the Lord said, do I, the maker of heaven and earth, need you to help me deliver my people like I promised they would be delivered? But well, Moses thought, like a lot of us do, I'm doing this for you, Lord. Why aren't you rewarding me? And God is saying, because I never asked you. I never told you to do that. You took that on your own. You're like the 14-year-old that gets in the family car and backs it out of the garage and, and then wrecks it and then tries to tell dad, well, I was only going to run it through the car wash for you. What was that? going to say, I never asked you to do that you're not qualified to do that you don't even have your license what in the world do you think you're doing people get in trouble for driving cars without a license don't they Moses was taking matters into his own hands doing things in his own strength in his own way and in his own timing and God just took his hands off and Moses reaped what he sowed now Moses has to be humbled Moses has to learn to wait on God And God is going to take Moses to a point to where he's no longer so impressive. No longer so powerful. No longer is Moses going to be looked at and say, boy, that guy would be a great leader, wouldn't he? Man, how impressive. He's just an old, 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 weather-beaten, nobody of a shepherd when God calls him. I just want to say to you as we conclude there's a lot for you to learn in that sometimes you get a vision of what god wants to do and what should be done and how it ought to be done and then you take the keys and you jump in the car and you decide you're going to help poor old god out well they didn't need your help and it might not even be you that he wants to use in that way you might be a joshua not a moses You might be a Caleb and not a Moses. And there's no shame in any of that. Just be what God has called you to be. And if he's called you to be a Moses, he's going to give you the opportunity to be a Moses. But it's going to be in God's way. And it's going to be in God's time. And it's going to be in God's power. So many people just run ahead of God. Let me read um, a paragraph here. And uh, then we'll be through. Because uh, I think this kind of puts it into all the perspective that uh, we need to have. Because we need to understand that Moses wasn't ready for this. And the Canaanites weren't ready to be judged yet. The fullness of their sin hadn't come up. And the Hebrews weren't ready for freedom or anything like that. But most importantly, you know, God wasn't ready. And it wasn't that God had to get prepared. It just meant that God has a plan. And he has timing. And he has a perfect way of putting all of that together. Arthur Pink says about this story, God had an important work for Moses to do. And for this, he must be prepared. It's true for all of us, isn't it? That work was to lead his people out of Egypt and conduct them unto the promised inheritance. And for this work, Moses was not yet equipped. It is true that this one who had become the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter had received a thorough education, for he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Nor was he any longer a youth, but now 40 years of age in the very prime of life. Nor was he only a student or theorist, he was mighty in words and deeds according to Acts 7:22. What then was lacking? Surely here was one who possessed all the necessary qualifications for leadership. Ah, how different are God's thoughts from ours. That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Luke 16:15. What we have enumerated above are but, listen, natural attainments and acquirements. And the natural man is set aside before God, for no flesh can glory in his presence. You see, there are some things maybe that you want to do and that ought to be done and God may even allow you to do them. But if you get the glory for it, why should God bless it? But if you are the one that people look at and say, how in the world did that person do that? Then the testimony is, it was God. It was God. It was God. And God wants to do that in you and through you if you will wait upon Him, if you will surrender to Him, and if you will lay all of your natural abilities, talents, and accomplishments before Him and say, God, use them any way that you want to, but I know that you don't need them. And you haven't been waiting until 2020 to do something just because, ooh, Greg's finally here. That's not the way God works for you or for me. Brokenness, humility, waiting upon the Lord. And Moses learned all of that through 40 years in the desert. But don't feel sorry for him. Because Moses, at the age of 80, is much better equipped to do what God wants him to do than he ever had been before. And when you see Moses burst on the scene as we're going to starting next week, everybody that looks at that rationally is going to say, this was the work of God. And may it be said of us whenever we die at our funeral, this was the work of God. May that be our epitaph on our tombstone. This was the work of God. And when you stand before Jesus and your life is evaluated and He loads you up with gold, silver, and precious stones. May the words that come out of your mouth be, this is the work of God. And lay it before His feet. What happens if I don't? Ash. Worthlessness. (sighs) Gone. So I'm saying, make your... Life count and be significant. How? Take the bull by the horn. No, no, no. Kneel at the altar. Surrender your life to God. Be a living sacrifice. And wherever a sovereign God takes you, He will empower you for whatever He wants you to do. And when it's all said and done, people will testify, this was the work of Almighty God. May God grant it to be so in your life, in my life, and in our church. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Oh Lord, we struggle with pride, self sufficiency. We struggle with all of our human achievements, thinking that we can bring them into the church. We can cause your work to be done in the way that you have always said you didn't want it to be done because you said it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And what we are asking for you to do, first of all as a church, would your spirit move so mightily in here that anybody and everybody, both inside and outside the church, can see without hesitation or doubt, this is the work of God. Not marketing, not the genius of a leader, not programming, not productions, but the Holy Spirit of God. And would you do something in each one of our lives that blows people's minds? How did you do that? May it be like Jody's testimony that was on the news. It's not me. It's the grace of Jesus Christ working through me. Boy, that one sentence is so powerful. And as we think about that, whatever it is that we do, we don't know how to parent, but the Holy Spirit does. We don't know how to be a good husband. We don't know how to be a good wife, but the Holy Spirit does. We don't even know how to be witnesses for Christ. Oh, we can say a bunch of words, but you said... After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses. We have to have the Holy Spirit to witness. We have to have the Holy Spirit to understand and apply the word of God. We have to have the Holy Spirit to overcome sin in our lives. And that's why Jesus said that when I leave, going back to heaven, I won't leave you as orphans. But I'm going to send the comforter I'm going to send the Holy Spirit I'm going to send another who is like me who will indwell you oh father forgive us when we lean on the arm of the flesh and not live and walk in the power of the Spirit forgive us when we do not testify of Jesus Christ like the Holy Spirit does forgive us when we're not walking in victory and power and love and joy and peace like the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit and I pray, Lord, that you would take us and teach us that God's ways are not done in the ways of men, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. O oh God, work mightily, save the lost, build up the saved, and allow us, Father, to be a living testimony to the glory of Christ. And we pray this, whatever the circumstances, we rejoice. In Jesus' name, we pray for your glory. And all God's people said, "Amen." Let's stand. Together.